I'm going to have to look that up. Greetings, everyone. Brian here. Hope everyone is doing well, surviving the return, or more accurately, <laughs> the continued COVID pandemic. If luck works out, I'll get this episode published within a week of the short return that I posted, uh, which would be a good thing. I've been able to carve out a little more time. Uh, mostly due to very early starts in the morning right now, just to support uh, work that's being done with uh, some folks in the mainland U.S., mainly, though, the folks in Hawaii. And once again, navigating the challenges of time zone, advanced mathematics, but I can't really complain because I had been a beneficiary for so long, especially in Hawaii, being far removed in some ways or thinking I was far removed from mainly the eastern U.S. time zone, uh, definitely from Europe. But to be honest, at the time, it was mainly just keeping in touch with my friends in Italy. And we would just have to chat, chat slash email slash text and wait for, you know, the 12 hours when we could align our schedules, which which wasn't all the time. But it was it was kind of nice being in the middle of the Pacific with lots of water on each side, and every time you needed to communicate with one side or the other, it may have been a little earlier or a little later, but it wasn't too extreme. Anyway, we don't want to dwell too much on time zone math, except that it's been on my mind with gaming and online gaming and thinking about trying to get some up again, that it was very fortunate to be in the mainland for a bit, especially in the eastern time zone, when there were always opportunities to game in the evenings or on weekends, even as busy as, as personal schedules were. And they were pretty busy. It was pretty fortunate that when things came up, they fit nicely. But for con news, I know there's been you know some more online cons, obviously, with just the continuation of, as we said, the pandemic, the weekend with good friends, good friends of Jackson Elias. I, I mentioned I'm... I'm dipping toes into Cthulhu, just uh, maybe maybe as the with the innocence of one of the extras or one of the unnamed cast members of a slasher flick, just to just to kind of put my toes in the in the lake out back of the abandoned summer camp, just to see how nice that water is, and never thought as to what lies beneath. But with any luck, I'll get to participate in one of the games at least and there's a couple that align and they do a lottery drawing so we'll see if the schedule holds we also are in the middle of finding a house trying to move to a more it's not even more permanent but there's another place that we've been helping to restore renovate from the family that it would make sense for us to be able to crash there which is ex extremely extremely helpful for us but also nice uh, family members to do to allow us to, to live there and also while we're there we can help out because there are plenty of tasks in terms of cleaning fixing repairing getting things organized uh, we're able to help out with a bit of of not just internet installation but we had to do some some maintenance they had some very very old phone lines uh, 
and just organizing and talking to the techs to come out and, and try to get some new jacks installed. That that's minor, but that's what I, that's what I can do at this point. Other than lift some 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 heavy things or help lifting heavy things and sweeping, mopping, cleaning, polishing. So so yeah, we're we're fortunate. It's very gracious uh, of family members to be able to do that for us, so that we can go out there as we continue to put in offers for houses and and hopefully land one in the next month or two. But we'll see. So anyway back to to cons as i said hopefully it'll line up i'm finding and i don't have a whole lot of experience with this so i'm interested when others talk about it and i know a lot of people at least not just in the anchor community but even folks that i've, I've talked to the overall gaming space obviously many more people had to game online but just the amount of gaming online that people are able to do i don't know what it is i mean obviously i'm i'm with those who are of a uh, a certain distinguished age or at least getting there so gaming online is a little bit different but not so much i i'm also of the generation where you know going to going to school and university you know learning to program in basic and pascal and then c and iterations and going through engineering school you know in the in the 90s when the internet was was out there at least the university level and a bit out there the military level and others and starting to see you know some of the first web browsers come into effect and realizing you know how great it would be being connected at university level and of course experiencing like many others you know the mud environment the multi-user dungeons and things of that nature so it's been there but i think just the explosion of online gaming which while fantastic i find that i have a sense of fatigue and i don't think it's from the amount of gaming that i've done because it, it hasn't been much it could definitely not compared to to others it's been little um and one aspect maybe that it, it's been kind of stacked that it's been hard for me to have any kind of regular gaming so you know the few times that i've done it we've wedged in even back-to-back -back sessions in a few of the online conventions at least the second half of last year which isn't really good. And, it, and it, to be honest, it'd be hard to do that physically as well. But I'm wondering if it's in general the Zoom slash Microsoft Teams slash WebEx fatigue since most work for many people if, uh, in, in certain professions. Not everyone is, it, it's still, as I said, not everyone is as fortunate. And although... I can talk about kind of the Zoom teams fatigue since we shifted everything to online and, you know, eight hour long teleconference, video conference, etc. It's a problem, but it's a good problem to have because essentially it means you can still work, but it leads to a sense of fatigue. And I always wonder if that kind of dripped over into some of the online gaming fatigue, which looking at it from a broader level is probably just wrapped up with fatigue of shifting to a not even a completely remote lifestyle but just the the fact that it's been so easy to find avenues to do things online and we've moved many segments of our life over to that and i don't think it, it's not necessarily in itself a good or a bad thing i think in terms of the last year the continued pandemic stresses it can be a very beneficial thing, but it, like everything else, there's a sense of fatigue. And I would liken this to, 
I know definitely for my son, in the bit of homeschooling that he did, where he was online a lot doing instruction with us, and then going to back to a regular school where they had to almost shift in and out of virtual school, given the situation, even that little bit I could tell was fatiguing him. It, and you know, I don't, I don't know if if it's if it's fair to characterize what's worse or the other, you know, sitting in the chair for eight hours in school, sitting in front of the computer for eight hours at home. But I, I could see that, you know, he just kind of needed to get up and run around or have physical interaction with other kids. So just more rambling. And it's something that I've been thinking about a lot with, you know, online gaming. And as I said in the last episode, p- part of that may also be drawing me more to, you know, looking forward to you know, gaming in a group again having some even if it's just some you know one one shot one session or just trying out different games and then the, the physical books because obviously like many it's been so easy to accumulate digital material but I'm finding that and especially for us really even though we were in Atlanta for a short time period and it was a, a house we'd had for a while we were going back to clean it up after runners were there, get ourselves situated and figure out what we were going to do before we had to move to Australia. You know, since the summer, late summer of 2019, we had not had a permanent home. And when we went back in Atlanta, it was whatever we could empty from the RV. So definitely did not include a lot of physical books. And that also just leads me into discussions that have been going on definitely the last couple of months. Uh, maybe more so, and I touched on it during the quarantine episodes, with nostalgia, nostalgia more broadly, but some of the ups and downs and issues and problems. And part of me wonders if there's just a nostalgic feeling with, you know, starting to play like crazy in person again and then just feeling tired (laughs) or getting the physical books. And then as I explained probably a while ago, we talked a little bit about minimalism, you know, and in a tongue-in-cheek way, the accumulation of stuff, at, at times I feel overwhelmed by stuff. Not everybody may feel this way, but I'm just wondering if if it's a tendency to kind of swing back and forth for me. And there's probably a certain aspect of that that is, as they say, the fear of missing out or having the physical books, you know, getting enamored by new books, getting excited, spending the money, feeling a bit of guilt about having so many and not enough time to read slash play slash utilize all of those and then feeling a bit bogged down and since for most of my adult life I've been on the move in fairly significant ways every few years packing up just getting tired of worrying about that aspect Um, so that may change here in coming years as we're trying to at least establish more of a family home or at least a place and that if we do have some travels or excursions again we would really like it to be just that and not necessarily a huge household move but that's probably down the line but nostalgia is an interesting topic Uh, obviously there's been the controversies but in thinking about it and I think there's a podcast. It might not be the most ep- recent episode of What Would the Smart Party Do? I got about halfway through it, and I got involved with something else. Just touching on nostalgia and had some interesting questions and a couple of different aspects. And this also goes back to, if I did not mention, uh, Judge James on Living for Crits had a couple of short 
videos where he touched on this, but I think one in particular where he focused on it over the last month of vlogging that he did, in that some of the aspects, and then relative to gaming, some of the aspects relative to gaming are thinking back and you know remembering the certain feeling, the comfort in that, or the excitement for the first time. And I've definitely had that with games. I found that even with you know going back to uh, Stratomatic Baseball, and you know over the last few months getting back into that playing and with the set, but also a little bit of the realization that it's hard to get back to the summers or the times when, you know, was playing it with a few key friends and getting pretty deep into it when most of us, let's see, it was high school. We had schoolwork, except for if it's the summer, obviously, and at the time we were getting different part-time jobs, but they weren't onerous and household chores. Still a large part of your day was carved out as free. And at the time, at least in the U.S., being young enough where there really weren't many places to go out, at least all the time of interest, and especially where I live, that changed as I got older, but usually just gathering late into the evening, at least as long as curfews would allow, or if it was in the neighborhood, as long as parents would stand it. And you know, tossing, tossing around games, tossing around Stratomatic, tossing around other things. And so going back to it, you always get that feel of, of the warmth or the comfort or the, or the memories of those experiences. But at least from my perspective, part of me realizes that it's hard to recreate that. You can have fun being reminded of that or going through the experience, but it may not be something that sticks with you. And I'm talking specifically about, I guess, those those feelings that are triggered from nostalgia. And I've touched on this, and many others have touched on it in greater detail about older games, going back through them. And in some ways, and Jason even made this comment, if not when he called in here, but I know he's made it elsewhere because it's, he's touched on it, is may, maybe the, it's good to look back at those games, or at least the, the memories associated with those games, for those reasons, you know, the nostalgia, the good, the good memories. You know, it's a, it's. I don't want to be too, uh, <laughs> too trite or Pollyanna about it, but it, it gives a good positive, for for most of them, hopefully, just a positive feeling. It's a little positive boost and something good to reflect on, and you then come to the next part of, okay, well, how do you, how do you carry that forward? And sometimes the best way to carry it forward is just to, I guess, remember it, maybe treasure it a little bit, and then think of ways today to not recreate in full detail or recreate exactly those types of feelings, but what things can do that now. And I guess the obvious thing for me is, is in thinking of different games and game systems, instead of trying to recreate the same game, just thinking about the, the experiences you've had seeing you know what games today that you play and maybe they are still some of the older games and editions and just seeing if that at least it may evoke some of the same feelings may create different feelings but maybe using just the feeling that you get from nostalgia as a springboard instead of just trying to go back and recreate the same thing repackage the same thing and i've been thinking a lot about this because as i said i still uh for some of the older games and probably applies more to, I mean, it does apply to kind of Marvel and, and Star Frontiers, which I've touched on. Um, I think at some point I would like to try at least a, a session. And so again, maybe in, you know, future, future cons are getting back together or, you know, there's different Discord servers, at least running through a game or two, just to, just to see what it, what it feels like after all this time. But that might be about it. And 
to me, it, it serves as a good transition. It's also been interesting because I think I mentioned, and so if I'm repeating, I apologize, but the last month when it wrapped up, Chaosium had the, the Call of Cthulhu Classic, uh, the second edition, I guess, or the first full box at Kickstarter where they reprinted it. It, it does have, they talk about they've had, they have some enhanced features, but essentially I guess it's reprinting most of the material, maybe with some cleanups, and then of course, you know, stretch goals and extra things. And I hesitated on this after getting the seventh edition because part of me just was the normal gamer feeling or feeling of missing out of, wow, this looks really cool. Look at all the stuff they're going to put in the box and getting it. And then, you know, there's small pings of, do, do I really need this? Do, do, would, wouldn't I rather, if I'm getting into it, go for, you know, a newer edition? And, you know, in this case, I think if nothing else, as something to look through and the idea of a box set, is enough nostalgia that even and and for me I didn't have it to begin with so it's it's a fresh look in a way even though it's an older product but I'm kind of feeling that having that as a box set paging through it you know using some of the materials even if I don't run everything and maybe if uh, we get to the point and probably when my son's a bit older because he's just not quite horror is not his thing and I, mean, I realize with Cthulhu you know I think there's ways you can dial it up and like any game obviously but I just don't know that that sits right now with what he's into although you know like everything else that may change I'm the same way I don't I don't know that when I was middle school and university and then of course I got out of games but I, I don't know if Call of Cthulhu would have appealed to me even now if I actually just thought of it as horror gaming. And I don't wanna, I, I'm not trying to label or, or or avoid the label for a certain problem, but I know that when many people talk about horror gaming or horror RPGs, it, it's used from their view as, as a positive thing and a genre. To me, I, I found it, at least my perception was that it was a little bit limiting. And obviously, there are, there are horrific elements, and you know it's a very deadly game. But maybe it was just the term. I guess I just assumed it might not be for me. And the more that I heard about just the system, it's obviously got a long history and podcasts and reading, and then actually getting my hands on some of the material, realized more of the investigative aspect, and then realized that it actually does lay into things that I do find interesting you know a little bit more of the conspiracy theory and sort of x-files and you know sort of the um kind of a in a, in, a, in, a, in a strange way maybe in a doomed way as che had talked about a few episodes ago you know the idea of underdogs in a system you know being in a sense, overmatched, out, outgunned, and, <laughs> and it's kind of a lot like DCC. Knowing that it's going to be deadly, and I guess feeling okay with that, hey, my characters may not have a great ending, or not necessarily a great ending, your character may die, or something bad may happen, doesn't mean the ending is not good. It could be in, you know, sacrifice of something noble. But I think the biggest point is just, I kind of felt enough of an interest to give it a shot and get this, and... This is from, again, someone I don't have a nostalgic pull towards Call of Cthulhu. Um, it did make me think that if they reprinted, and this is something I'll get into in the, in the next segment before I try to wrap, if Wizards, 
was thinking and reprinted. And I don't know they need to do this because there's so many other great products. And my my tendency has been more towards the, the DCC world. So I, there are many other, I mean, whatever, I, I don't want to label and misinterpret games, especially ones I'm not familiar with, but people will say retro clones, but I would say the fantasy games that have incorporated a lot of the older elements of D&D, built on them, improved them, modified them, mashed them up. There are others, and there's been box sets. I think Swords and Wizardry came out with a box, then maybe another revamp box. But if Wizards did do that, I would actually, my finger may be hovering over that enter key to, <laughs> to purchase if they said, hey, you know what, these are the, the classic basic expert box set editions just reprinted as a Kickstarter, and then all kinds of neat stretch goals to go along with it. You know, maybe some updated material. Um, I, I am, my, my, my business gaming sense, something tells me that, especially watching the most recent bigger RPG successes that it could be a runaway hit. Now, obviously, you can get all that stuff now or most of it, you know, on uh, the DM Guild, you know, print on demand, things of that nature. But the same is true maybe for, I don't know in specific, but for the older Cthulhu, a, a lot of it that's true. So in some ways, we're in an era where it's very easy to go back and get something, even print it, make it hardbound. But I bet they, I bet they could give some folks a run for their money if they reprinted it. I'd be tempted to do it, and again, that would be just a nostalgia. There'd absolutely be no need to do it um, because I've got some older materials. I've purchased some PDFs of the older books just to have. I've got old school essentials. Probably have plenty of others that are close enough. Could run that um, for groups or participate in that without having any of that material. But there would be something about having a, a copy of that old box set even though it's a you know reprinted box set but we'll see shipping costs paper costs everything is getting more expensive so i'm not sure about that the other topic uh, i wanted to cover and i do not think there'll be enough time in detail and it's something i've heard about from others not necessarily heard about but i've heard them start to talk about that and that is the you know, Wiz Wizards of the Coast, the stewardship of D&D, 5th edition, will there be a 6th edition, etc. I guess what I would lump this into is looking at D&D as a huge, very popular brand that's been fairly profitable. Uh, very profitable, I guess, according to, you know, its own history, but in a larger scale, as part of a very large toy slash entertainment company. And there are a lot of things that I mean, people may, may agree, disagree with some of the practices, but one of the things that I find frustrating with Wizards of the Coast is I, I do think overall, you know, the way that 5th edition has helped bring D&D &D and, and, and a lot of things along with it back and the popularity it's received, they do put out very nice products. As I've said, I think the essentials, the starter set, especially for the price, were really good. I think they might have been better with, you know, kind of a, a basic, basic expert set, but as ways of getting people to the hobby. They're pretty good. The books are very nice. I like the fact that they do the alternate covers in local game stores. But as we've talked about before, and this gets back to a little bit of the RPG economics, you know, their model now is having you buy into essentially three core books that are retail at 50 bucks. You know, but of course, if you're, if you're searching Amazon or the big retailers, you can get a better rate. 
I'm not saying that's good or bad. Obviously, it's better for the consumer because that's that's a lot to spend just to get into a game. And that doesn't even get to the supplements, the adventures, etc. that they roll out. And they've been doing that mostly in hardcover format a couple of years, 50 bucks, etc. And in the converse, a separate digital platform that you need to purchase, pay into, maybe even pay subscriptions, depending on how much you use it, to have digital content. Whereas most other, if I don't know if it's all, so that's a generalization, but most other publishers are at least of the mindset that you can purchase a PDF, so obviously that'll be at lower cost. You can purchase a physical book. You might be able to get a bundle. You might be able to purchase a physical book and get the PDF free. Um, you might be able to purchase a physical book from a local game store and get the PDF free. I think that's the Bits and Mortar program. And to me, looking at the way that I'd say Watsi, in a sense, has structured their business model, it, it's almost more about the brand, the brand loyalty, and expanding the customer base, in a sense, than maybe serving existing customers. And I don't want to say that they wouldn't continue to serve existing customers because obviously, you know, if you're, if once you start buying into fifth edition and if you enjoy playing it and we do play it and now I've got a lot of the books, you probably will continue. And I've been probably like others always looking to see what, what is being announced for the next set of adventures. Are they going to bring an old setting back? Is it going to be, is it going to be worth it in fifth edition? Are they going to create a totally new setting? You know, something beyond the forgotten realms, but, in watching it, especially over the last year or last couple months, and, and, and compared to maybe other game companies that I've looked at, it seems that Wizards and Hasbro at large is making more of a push for, like I said, the, the D&D Beyond, maybe trying to launch something else, a new virtual tabletop environment that again may come with a, a subscription and, and its own self-contained branding. <laughs> A very big push to be visible with, I, I mean, I would say celebrities playing D&D, which still in a way boggles my mind, but it's become more and more commonplace. And if you kind of take a look at over the last few months, at least news or different things at events, they're showing more and more of this, that it's more and more of, I guess, the brand D&D, what it is, who plays it, who participates. And to me, what 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 it, it just... I guess what my thought is in this, in that they'll continue with this, and I'm 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 sure, at least I'm hoping, with some of the people they're engaging with, especially a lot of the new freelance writers, that the content will continue to be great or even better. But my my hesitation—it's not really a fear, but I guess just the hesitant or the thought in the back of my mind, especially after working with large companies—is at some point, and especially now seeing the growth and then seeing the money, the marketing money that gets put into not necessarily marketing the next you know hardcover Feywild adventure or the Fizzbands Dragons adventure, which they do spend and they tout it and promote it, but. It's more on the side of the D&D Live and when they get back to in-person and having placement of products in certain certain places, you know, in Walmart, Target, Amazon, discounts, obviously, which may be all good things for the for the RPG player. And again, if you're, geez, if you're, if you're playing D&D, this is a far cry from when some of us started 
you know, although you could you could get them in Toys R Us occasionally and maybe the KB Toys, it was usually bookstores, and some of them even were, were more limited. But then it was your comic book stores or your hobby shops, if the, if they were lucky enough to have a shelf or an aisle with with some games. But I just think that at some point, you know, if you're part of a big company like that, that they look at this, they start to see how they're spending the money and what it's bringing back, and from hearing the continued stories of just how you know some of the work has been contracted out the freelance work to good people but that it's particularly not something that they're throwing a lot of money at and i don't know for sure so this is a guess and so if i'm if i'm wrong i i mean i would i would love to either know more or be corrected but i my sense is that for all the talent and i'm talking about kind of the creative talent you know the the men and women the people that they're bringing together to write the sections of Candlekeep and write the sections of, of the Ravenloft book, I don't know that they're spending top dollar as compared to how much money they might be spent thinking about how to cross D&D with the Nerf product line. And again, I, I, I'm not sure, I mean... I don't want to sound like cranky old man and say it's a it's a bad thing. I remember in the '80s the little bit of explosion, the D and D cartoon, and some of the other crossover things that they had, putting D and D not quite everywhere, but a lot. But I guess it's just that I'm wondering how much of this then starts to be a set of decisions made from a corporate viewpoint, from Hasbro, you know, Watsy viewpoint, rather than as a as a game company and an RPG company. And to be fair, it's it's hard to really think about the type of strategy they would have to pursue in order to do, I, I'd say it's not necessarily everything, but yeah, to do everything. Because for a lot of the things we're asking for, you know, there's a counter argument. You know, the, the, the lack of PDFs at least available for purchase of, of the 5e products, you know, and then they... You know, I'm sure on, on, on the Watsi side, there's a long history, and definitely on the internet, it's not just, you know, IP from D&D, but, yeah, of piracy and things being stolen. And I guess at some point, you have to make, I, I say you, but I guess, you know, the, co- the company has to make a decision with their IP. Um, I'm wondering with the amount of, you know, magic and D&D crossovers, and this is from a non-magic player, I, I can't tell you if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but... I don't know how much of that is being made as a decision to, from from a content or an innovative new idea standpoint, as opposed to an idea of you know product synergy. And you do, I don't want to sound too draw. I'm not a. I don't know that I would have been a great corporate executive. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but I, I know that in going through business school and looking at lots of case studies, and then I'm working in corporations, my sector and my industries have been very different from a game toy company and the different sectors that you are in when you're in retail. But still, there are a lot of things that get done and you wonder how many decisions get made by just, just adding up where the money is. And obviously, I'm most of us, uh, I remember in college watching people play Magic not getting into it, but in some ways sitting around with other friends who are old D&D players and kind of kicking ourselves saying, that is such an innovative idea to build in kind of the recurring sales. You know, why weren't we the geeks that thought of it? But anyway, I, I always wonder how much of that is 
is more marketing and more of the, the corporate influence and, and, and the brand than, than anything else. And just to, to stop ranting and, and sum it up that I, there's also, I think, a big difference between what, what Dungeons & Dragons has obviously become over its iterations and other products and content from other parties and the Watsy D&D, the fifth edition. Um, even if you like fifth edition, I, I'm starting to think of more Watsy as, as, as owning the D&D brand and, and just trying to figure out, maybe not figure out, maybe just watching and being curious about what things they're doing for, for the brand rather than the game itself. I don't know that it's an either or, but I do think it's interesting because I've heard, especially over the last couple of years, and so some of this does harken back because I know in some of my podcasts that I've been listening to, some of the episodes are, are, are only dated from the standpoint that they're from 2020. And even now, a lot of the things that Watsi's done, even through Candlekeep, just the, just the stories that, that come out of things and decisions they've made and watching their reactions with either creators that they're not necessarily treating, I'd say fairly, but not necessarily utilizing the full potential. You know, last year, I think with a lot of the pro- the older content that at least could have been explained better and definitely could have been removed from, from making any kind of monies on it, not to get rid of it. Uh, but I think some of those reactions definitely seem more in line with what I would think of as a, as a business or, or a corporate response, maybe rather than, you know, game company. And, and to be fair, I, having, having been in, a, <laughs> in other corporations, I do know what it's like that if you are part of the team, so I'll, I'll just, my assumption is, you know, the Watsi team that maybe is responsible for D&D. I, I don't think it's that large. I, I can't imagine that it is, even though they are making money because they get a lot of other people that have to help out to write books. But I imagine that the teams there or the teams that do Avalon Hill, a lot of the things that probably go on, you know, they they have less control over them than we may assume, or at least, I guess to be clear, n- knowing what it's like to operate sometimes in big corporate structures, especially when there are changes, and even when things are going well, definitely when things are going poorly, but even when things go well and people start to pay more attention to you, Sometimes you may get less control, and that usually ends up being on the creative end. If you were more interested in the management end, the you know the the market expansion, and you may have control, but it can go directly in line with a lot of the things that you're creating content for. And I don't I don't want to equivocate too much, but but to say that I I don't know that that's good or bad. I think it depends on your viewpoint. Uh, now for me, as a consumer and someone who wants to see the continued success. I don't think that's always good because I think that could lead to, again, continuing to do things for fifth edition, which uh, maybe either segment what I would call the market or the fan base, or what I'd say is really not being the, the best content provider that you can, could be. And that may be hard because obviously there's so many other great third-party providers of fifth edition material too, thanks to the open gaming license. but you would expect that some of the bigger things that they do, you know, would be, I'd say almost in the best interest of the game. And I think that gets harder when you look at it as a product and again, as a brand. So 
eh, all, all these things that I don't know. <laughs> and as I've heard, you know, mainly from interviews, but I, I think that's why a lot of RPG creators and someone, someone who may be doing this, if they're, if they're lucky enough to be able to do it full time, and definitely some of those that work for smaller, you know, independent publishers or run them, uh, will will definitely tell you how difficult it is, how much work is involved, and just how tenuous things can be sometimes. So, um, where do, where do I go from here? How do I wrap up? For uh, you know, to be honest, the lecture hall has been empty because even though Queensland is not in any formal state of lockdown. Uh, here at the newly established North Brisbane University of RPG Rambling, uh, we're still all virtual. So the uh, one student with the multiple personality disorder is probably at home going through back catalog of Dead Game Society. The two dogs that are here are passed out on the floor, <laughs> trying to sleep, and probably want me to stop talking. Um, where I go from here is that I, 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 I've, I've got a renewed interest in trying to be more careful about spending my money on not just obviously things I'm interested in, but yeah, from some of the more, I guess, independently mined producers. Um, I had never, I mean, now Chaosium, I mean, is, is obviously a, a bigger organization than many of the independent producers, but it's, I, I feel that it's not, you know, Watsy slash Hasbro. And in some ways, I kind of feel that, you know, in spending a little money and trying to get in some of those games, one, it, it serves an interest that I'd never been involved in. But two, it it just seems that, again, it's it's a way to participate in the community. And that may sound a little bit kind of trite, but like with, with Goodman Games, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to spend money on products and even now that, you know, not having gamed a lot recently and, and having, you know, the stack of PDFs, not to mention the books, um, at some point, even reading through them makes me appreciate them, makes me enjoy them. And so I'm trying to be a little bit less, I guess, judgmental of myself of, you know, buying things and worrying about getting into the game. So I'm, I'm just conscious of trying to buy things that definitely hit the interest spot but definitely may also benefit some of the creators or groups that are that are producing them, and it it does frustrate me a little bit when you know kind of looking at the bigger picture and what Watsy's doing and and, and fifth edition etc. And um, I heard I don't know if it was on DM of None or the Saturday D and D show. See. I, I need to take some notes sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts. A lot of time I listen to them like many other people do. Um, not as much driving here, but I don't, again, not, not commuting or driving long distances. And I do have to pay attention, um, obviously, because my tendency is always when I make a turn to drift back to the side of the road that I grew up driving on, which would be the incorrect side here. But it's then doing chores and running or other things. So not taking notes, but getting back on track. I know in the podcast, there's always a discussion of will or won't be a six edition and when. I think at some point it's inevitable, but the one thing that I, 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 it resonates with me, let's just say, and I don't think it's my thought alone. I'm pretty sure I've heard this, but it, I, it resonates with me that I do think there are some people, or at least someone, 
who is already thinking of it may have some tentative mappings and already looking to see when they need to pull the trigger on a sixth edition or when they need to start or how they want to do it. And again, I just, again, my, my, my caution would be that it's being done as a business decision. And obviously there's a big business decision that needs to happen to do that, but that that's the focus as opposed to really thinking through, (laughs) you know, rolling out a new edition, basically just to get people to sink, you know, to sink another, you know, 150 or whatever dollars into something and putting everything they've invested, you know, onto the library shelves or into a box and into the closet. So I, I, my hope would be, and the one thing that I've gleaned, and I'll find this out, I think, as I actually start reading through some of the, the older Cthulhu PDFs and, and, and compare it to some of the newer 7th edition stuff I've gotten, uh, my senses and hearing from others and reading is that the versions or the editions are not that different, or at least there's, a, um, there's an easy way to either convert or to, to, be, to be in line. Now, I, I could be totally misinformed, and the one thing that I would fear with a 6th edition launch or a decision to do it is that it would not be that. It would be a way to change enough to get people to justify spending the money, but that could also essentially piss everybody off uh, because of all the 5th ed stuff. But I, that's that's in the future, and you know, again, I, I don't... It's it's hard at this point because I think if you're if you're part of a bigger company like that, I don't know, especially when you're having success, how much control you'll get to have, and so you know the decision to go to a new edition may be wrapped up in totally something totally different, or to uh, maybe compensate for what happens with the monopoly line. I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, lots of rambling, but I'm glad that I got the chance to record this and hopefully get this out without too much editing uh, in the near future. Um, I am taking a harder look to think of some either topics or different things to, to discuss or do on the podcast to not necessarily differentiate it, but I'm not sure that at some point when I keep recording that the rants and ramblings won't just start to sound the same. So I need to put a little more thought in planning out. Um, definitely, you know, a list of topics or a list of ideas as I had the first time. Uh, the thing I'd leave you with, I guess, is <laughs> interestingly enough, I had not been able to launch the RPG a day series. And I mentioned that last time, but right around the first day, and I'm what I'm guessing and trying to remember this is it must have been the night of the first day because I think that was scenario. So in, this, in my mind, trying to reconstruct it and actually make it make a little sense. I had seen the schedule come out and being over here, saw day one was scenario and thinking, huh, that, that should be pretty cool because it's a nice little creative exercise. I do enjoy that. I don't put enough of them down on paper. And I remember that evening having a dream and waking up and thinking, well, this actually could work well because being a sense of a day ahead or at least half day ahead if you're, if you're uh, you know, Europe, and uh, kind of UK Central European times, time zones. Could put this out, but 
one one of the dreams I had was a bit of kind of you know sci-fi and it's even hard to identify like what it was but to me what I interpreted some kind of some kind of sci-fi universe show where the scenario was the you know I'd say the earthen fleet the earthen you know naval fleet is accepting the surrender of uh, you know an alien alien fleet you know maybe there's a peace breaking out um, so in thinking about this it started to be very reminiscent of the you know the, the Star Trek undiscovered country movie where the Klingons need to have peace and so as part of the scenario on the ship you know going out to accept but one the surrender but but as part of this surrender and I don't know why this came out and so this is probably somewhere in some other trope or or discussion part of the terms of the surrender were to start to actually physically surrender some of their ships and apparently there was a maybe three or at least when I was thinking about it later I, I just put the number three on it so the alien fleet you know the alien world that was surrendering as part of the the ceasefire and the peace agreement agreed to surrender three of its capital ships and these at least in my mind were some of the most potent you know warships of star starships that at least for the you know the forces involved had had known and had agreed to turn them over and so you going out to accept and oversee this obviously part of the motivation on the the earth and navy side is is the excitement of like wow not only have we gotten them to surrender but we are getting three ships of such technology that we can only imagine we're going to be able to tear these apart reverse engineer build better ones etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> the other part and this is part of maybe some of the npc crew or some of the npc uh you know the officer class um this seems really bizarre and this is where i kind of started to make that maybe i was thinking about the klingon undiscovered country connection because you know in the back of maybe some's mind is like well, what why do they want peace all of a sudden now and you know and not sorry sorry for spoilers but i think it's for the beginning is that if i remember correctly a moon explodes or i mean this they've had the klingons have had you know a, a serious you know not quite a, a well a catastrophic event i think it's fair to say and so in a sense recognize that they they need help or have to change they're making an outreach but there are plenty of people like kirk and others don't quite believe it we're not really sure that it's going to work and have reservations and so in this scenario <laughs> i think it's it's at least clear that you should have some reservations because why on earth would they give three capital ships why would they just turn them over what else is there and i didn't get beyond there but i think it leaves some nice openings that obviously one way to go is that oh it's a trap or it's you know it's something that they're sneaking in which which could be pretty fun you know the other way to go is it's it's not and that's actually the way that i started thinking about it and never got this to podcast but that it's not really a trap from that standpoint but what in my mind was thinking was what if it's a story of well it's a bit of a trap but what it is is these ships the first thought was which i'm not sure what hold had been infected by something by another alien species you know another alien world and one they wanted to get rid of them <laughs> 
and we're in a sense using them like kind of passing them off to fight another enemy <laughs> you know so the enemy of my not necessarily the enemy of my enemy is my friend but like look if i can just get these two to start fighting each other maybe i'll come out on top <laughs> um the mechanics though i didn't didn't quite think too much of it and i thought eh, i might be a little bit convoluted the other thing was think about those it's not necessarily a trap in that standpoint they're happy to give them away because they do want some help and the help that they're going to want or need is that there is a third enemy and it is bigger and it is worse and they've made a decision to say hey you can have these because basically in a couple of months or you know some some length of time we're all going to have to fight together <laughs> so you know this this gift right now <laughs> What we really want you to do is we do want you to reverse engineer or we do want you to improve them or we want you to mash them up or we want you to learn to fight them because there aren't enough of us and we're all going to have to fight together. I don't know, just some some thoughts. But I thought it was interesting that it seemed it, something like that. And I'm, I'm sure that's been in many other, uh, it, it definitely could be in other good game scenarios. It gives you a lot of different ways to go for it. You introduce something, you know, a change in the ordinary and you, you could have a lot of mixed feelings, reservations. Um, and something that, that could... Maybe not be an explicit trap, but something that seems odd. It gives the players enough to start investigating or ask, asking questions about. And, you know, from a GM, it depends if this is part of a bigger world and maybe this is where it's going. There are a lot of different ways you can go for that. And maybe it's not even apparent right away, you know, or maybe it's, you know, even a an internal struggle they don't have visibility on that, you know, the folks that are that are doing this are giving them away because they have something bigger planned or they're, you know, they have an internal political struggle to make the one leader look bad, but they know that the loss of these three ships is not going to be, you know, it's, it's not, it's going to lose the battle, but not the war. Yeah, all those things. So anyway, I got to get some more coffee. <laughs> and, uh, I'm assuming that uh, this has now taken uh, my lunch break, which is perfectly fine. Uh, so I hope everyone is doing well. Um, if you do listen, you have any thoughts on, you know, topics or, or great things, things you want to know about. One topic that I have, but it's going to have to wait until we actually get back into in-person gaming is, as I mentioned before, a couple good gaming groups in the Brisbane area. Some are starting to meet face-to-face, -face, so I am hoping that I can eventually get to one, give, give a little report on what it's like, and then maybe even talk about some of the scenarios we're running. But until then, hope you are staying safe and sane if you're back in a lockdown or a restricted area. And enjoy your games.